0: Do you know what? it's funny? I actually grew up in the uh, uh, the honour and privilege of growing up in the Anglican faith, in the Anglican Church, uh, back over in England, and uh, you know I love Christmas, but I, if I'm honest, like, it was always that slightly within of like Easter was always like a really first. Want to say I love the Anglican Church, so this is not anything critical at all. But I like, it always felt like Easter was a really, really kind of spiritual time, really you know reflecting deeply on the death and resurrection of Jesus, which is wonderful. But then Christmas felt totally different. Kind of Christmas was like not spiritual, just kind of a bit other. Do you know what I mean? Kind of fern and lots of red jumpers and ties and carols and stuff like that. Uh, but I, kind of, I as I prepared this talk, I really wanted that to kind of, uh, kind of come before God and kind of say to him, what do you want me to speak about? But also, like, I don't want Christmas to feel really different and other. And You know how you have like almost 11, 11 and a half months of your Christian faith, which is normal, and your usual rhythms and routines, and, and your walk with Jesus. And then like, there's two or three weeks of Christmas, which is just a bit different. And... Um, I suppose my heart for this morning is, is not going to be different, just to continue to look at Jesus, continue to say yes to Jesus, continue to explore the kingdom of God that we see breaking into our lives. And um, so that's kind of my hope for this talk. Um, our theme for Christmas this year has been the light. Um, and you know James talked about it last week at the carol service. Um, and the key verse for us this year has been in the Gospel of John, the f- uh, first chapter, verse five, the light has shone in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Um, So we'll be looking at the light, and I want to continue looking at that theme today. Um, But what I want to look at today is that idea that when we look at Christmas, we look at the the birth of Jesus just over 2,000 years ago, what we're remembering is that God had to first enter this world before he could enter our hearts. So he had to enter this world before he could enter our hearts. Jesus had to come as flesh and blood and bones before he could come into our hearts and our souls and our minds. So um, in the last few weeks as a church, we've looked at, just before the Christmas series, we looked at the book of Isaiah. And there's obviously a very f- familiar chapter, uh, chapter 9 in Isaiah that we read at the carol service every year. Unto us a child is born, and so on. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A new light has dawned, it says. That's what it says in Isaiah 9. But when we look at the Christmas story, the context of that is that people have been waiting for a light for thousands of years, particularly between the book of Isaiah. They reckon that was written about 600 years before the birth of Jesus. And in that period, people have been seeking God and searching for a Messiah. They'd kind of seen probably just not really any light, just maybe specks of light creeping in. But really, it was just a time of of darkness. And then when we see the birth of Jesus, it's not just a speck of light. It's just like, you know that? You ever been in kind of in a dark room, maybe your bedroom at night, and someone, for me, it's my kids in the morning, or you actually usually in the middle of the night, sometimes the door just opens wide, and your room is flooded with light. Kind of, yeah, it happens to me and Alice quite a lot. But, uh, but like this sense, you know, sometimes you're in total darkness, and then the light, just it's not just a bit of light kind of creeping in, it's like a flood of light just comes in. And that's what happens, that's what happens when Jesus is born. People have been looking for this light, and suddenly it just pours in. Now, uh, John one nine. This is four verses later. Says this: the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. The true light. And then, and this is what I want to pick up on today: the apostle Paul, who was writing about Jesus uh, after the death and resurrection of Jesus. This is the time of the early church being started. This is what he writes to the church in Ephesus. This is Ephesians one verse eighteen. It says this: I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. And actually, in in different versions of the Bible, little variations on it, um, that, that verse can actually be translated like this. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light. Flooded with light. So this Christmas, what I want to talk about this morning is that as this true light that's Jesus, as this true light comes into our worlds, it comes into our lives, we need that light, that true light, to flood our hearts. We need that light to do a very deep work in our hearts and our souls. So this morning, my question to you would be, where is Jesus in your life this morning? Where is Jesus in your life this Christmas? Is he where he needs to be? Or is he somewhere on your to-do list? this Christmas? Or is he, is he deep in your heart? Is your heart flooded with his light this morning? So my hope this morning, I want to just give you a few thoughts on how, wherever you're at with Jesus this morning, whether you're exploring Jesus, whether you'd say you've been following Jesus for a long time, just want to give a few thoughts on why Jesus can really flood our hearts with light this morning. So firstly, just enjoy Marvel at the Christmas story, when we see so many individuals be met with awe and wonder at what God does, because there is so much of heaven in the Christmas story. Now, the last few weeks, I've, I've kind of taken the time to um, reread the Christmas story in the Bible. If you've, if you've never done that before, maybe you're just starting to read your Bible, maybe you have become a Christian this year, and actually this will be the first time that you have looked at the Christmas story the easiest thing to do, is very easy to just read the Christmas story. Basically, you look at the Bible about two-thirds of the way through. You'll find the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And all you have to do is read the first two chapters of Matthew. None of it is in the Gospel of Mark, so you don't need to worry about that. The first two chapters of Luke, and then literally the first few lines of, of John's Gospel. That's it. Probably take you 15, 20 minutes. Depends on how fast you read. And the story basically features two pregnancies. There's a story of John the Baptist and Jesus. Um, and their respective mothers, um, falling pregnant with them. And the story is full of dreams and visions. It's full of answered prayers. And it's full of angels. Kind of angelic activity is an is, is overdrive. Um, and, you know, and here in the vineyard, us as a vineyard church, what we love to see and lo- what we love to talk about and what we love to celebrate is we, we talk about the kingdom of God breaking, in, breaking into our lives and into our city. And sometimes it can be hard to understand what that means when we talk about it. But another way to think of that, the kingdom of God breaking in, is, is basically these moments where we see something of heaven breaking in, breaking in on, on earth. So what we may not be talking about in our current context is people seeing angels, although from time to time you do hear stories like that, which is very exciting. But what we're talking about when we're talking about the kingdom of God breaking in is when someone says yes to Jesus, when someone gives their life to Jesus. Or it might be when someone is physically or emotionally healed. It might be when a prayer is answered, either quickly or after a long time of praying. It might be when someone feels really prophetically and powerfully led by God's voice to do something, to follow a calling. Those moments, these moments that we see all the time, they're supernatural moments. It's that sense of like, well, what's happening in heaven is actually also happening here on earth. Now, we see them some of the time, but not all of the time. Another thing we talk about here in the vineyard is that we talk about the now and the not yet. Sometimes we see them now, and sometimes we have to wait. It's not fully here yet, is it, heaven? So we have to wait. But the Christmas story is full of now moments. Just, there's no waiting. It's not, not yet. It's full of now moments. Just God breaking in in all his power, doing something really supernatural. It's incredible. And the arc of the Christmas narrative leans totally towards two things. Divine intervention and breakthrough that's when we look at the christmas story it is god intervening and breaking through so if you look at the some of the characters in the christmas stories it's wonderful to look at take start with elizabeth and zechariah if you don't know that's the parents of john the baptist so these guys were devout people holy people part of the priesthood zechariah was part of the priesthood but very broken people they're, they're actually grieving in their life, grieving for something, something that they never had, a child that they'd never had. And yet, Zechariah is visited by an angel, has this very powerful supernatural experience, and he loses the ability to speak. At the same time, Elizabeth conceives a child, something that it didn't seem possible at the time. That child would then leap and jump in her womb when she encounters Mary later in the story. And as a couple, God breaks through, and they are inspired to a... A season of obedience and of worship, and they don't want to become the parents to John the Baptist. So that's Elizabeth et cetera. Take a look at Joseph in the in the story. Joseph, someone who is very noble in the way he acts, but was probably again very broken, embarrassed, maybe heartbroken about what had happened with Mary, engaged to Mary but not married, and yet she's with child, and yet at the same time again, God breaks through. He's visited by an angel, who speaks to him, reassures him. And in Joseph, God inspires trust and obedience, and he sacrifices his own agenda to pursue God's plans. Look at Mary, Mary, the mother of Jesus. She's humble, and she's kind, and she's pure, but she must have been terrified. Again, she's visited by an angel. Her life is totally transformed, and it would obviously never look the same ever again. Actually, go on. The shepherds. Shepherds would have been on the edge of things. They would have been potentially very rowdy, macho people, not probably religious people at all, not in the religious crowd. And yet they are, again, visited by angels, a choir of angels. They're brought to their knees in worship. They're struck in awe and wonder, and then they go on to visit the baby. And God transforms them, not just into obedient people, but into evangelists. They go and talk to everyone about what they have seen and heard. The magi, the, the cast continues... Probably not Jewish people, unlikely to be Jewish. Probably very intelligent people, very academic, kind of head people, not heart people. Probably very wealthy and self-dependent. And yet, they lay aside their agenda when they feel called by God. They're compelled by God to go and follow this star in the sky. And they're compelled towards Jesus. And God inspires in them this heart of generosity with their gifts, but also kindness and protectiveness. And they protect the, um, the family of Mary and, and Joseph from Herod. And even in the closing scenes of the Christmas story, um, before we kind of get into Jesus' ministry and, and teaching later in the Gospels, we see Simeon. Simeon is the man who encounters Mary and Joseph with the baby Jesus at the temple. This is a guy who's been patient. He's been waiting all his life. He's craving to see the Messiah, craving to see God on earth. And he doesn't just see a baby, but he sees something totally different beginning just as his life is ending, God puts eternity in his heart, just as he is about to face eternity himself. What's amazing as you look at that Christmas story, all the characters in it, is you see God flooding people's hearts with his light. They are all struck in awe and wonder by what God is doing in their life, and their hearts are flooded with the light of Jesus. It's wonderful. So my first question to you on the back of that would be, is there some, is so much of heaven in the Christmas story? Is there something of heaven in your hearts as you come to this Christmas? She said, if there's not, read it again. There is so much of heaven in the Christmas story, and we can seek that ourselves. So secondly, what else might flood your heart this Christmas? Let your heart be touched by the Father's heart. The Father's heart, which is that he has such a strong desire to come and be with us. Come and be with us. Because it's not in the Christmas story, it's not just awe and wonder. But it's flesh and blood. Much more than just signs and wonders. We talk about, again in Isaiah 9, it talks about God with us. Emmanuel, which means God is with us. It's the God incarnate. That's taken from the word carne. I'm no biblical scholar, but I found this out. Flesh and blood, carne, as in carnival, which basically just means meat literally means me. There's a lovely quote. This is Philip Yancey. It says this, The God who created matter took shape within it. The God who created matter took shape within it. This Tuesday morning, um, I was here. We were, on Tuesday mornings, if you don't know, we open up this building to the community. I mean, we do that every day, but on a Tuesday morning, we particularly focus on our, our neighborhood. And every Tuesday morning we have, it could be 10, sometimes it's 30, 40, we have uh, people come in and they do kind of classes and have tea and coffee together. And this week um, was actually a very important week because it was mince pie testing week. Um, So shock horror, sorry, let me just tell you this. This isn't in my notes, but we had six mince pies. You had to do a blind test in terms of you had to test them all and then rate them. And then you had to say which supermarket you thought they were from. Out of the six, in sixth and final place, was Marks & Spencers. If you work for Marks & Spencers, I'm really sorry. But I, I haven't meant to offend your um, supermarket chain. Number one, co-op. This is not in my notes. I need to get back to it. But um, <laughs> it was a very interesting morning, very interesting morning. On Tuesday morning, um, predominantly the people in the room, uh, over the age of 60, maybe 65, 70, some of them over the age of 70, um, were having a great time. We had a really lovely time. But there was someone in the room who'd never been before. And it was a lady called Nia, and she came down uh, with her, and she had a baby with her. And this baby was only five, five and a half months old. And boy, did that baby change the room. <laughs> Moths to a flame. Just every single person in the room just wanted to. Be with that baby, and offer to hold the baby, and everyone wanted to ruffle the hair and stroke the cheek and all that kind of stuff. It was lovely, lovely, and that's you know that baby changed the changed the atmosphere of the room, and Jesus, the baby, <laughs> changes more than a room, changes the whole whole the, world, the whole world, because Jesus, as flesh and blood, we have to remember, he was a baby. He, would come, he came to be held and to be cuddled, and then would grow up to hold and embrace others. It was a, he, as a baby, would have been touched and held, and then he would have grown up to touch and heal others. As a baby, he would have been comforted, and then he grew up to comfort others. As a baby, he would have been fed and nurtured. He then grew up into a man who would feed thousands of others. It's the power and the profound nature of touch. Something very, very powerful about touch. In the same room, later on the Tuesday, going back to my story on Tuesday, there was another class in this building downstairs, and they were doing their kind of Christmas cup of tea and coffee to say goodbye to each other for the, for the end of the term. And I was, a, I was meeting up with someone else, and I was downstairs, and I was really struck as I looked across the room about just the genuine kind of sense of affection and kind of trust in the room and they're all saying goodbye to each other for Christmas. And how do they do it? It wasn't just kind of, see you later. There were handshakes, and there were embraces. And then to my amazement, one of the um, people in the room came over to me and wished me Christmas, uh, Merry Christmas. And she reached out. This is a lady decades older than me, who lives very close by. I know that she lives on her own, and I know that she comes here because she she loves to feel connected and part of something. She reached out to me. She took me by the hand. And she said, oh, I wish you a very Merry Christmas. And she leant down and she gave me a cuddle. And part of me slightly melted, if I'm honest. <laughs> but it was that profound nature of touch. Something like, just to say, you know, you mean something to me. I mean something to you. It was, it was a special moment. And I think that's what we see in Jesus. It's so important that Jesus was flesh and blood that we could, the people with him could touch him and he could touch them. Think just of a couple of stories of that. Think of Thomas, the disciple, after the resurrection of Jesus. If you don't know the story, Jesus, after he was resurrected, appeared to the disciples and Thomas was one of them and he just couldn't believe his eyes. He literally couldn't believe what was happening. What does Jesus say to him? This is in uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 20, if you want to look it up. Jesus says to him, put your fingers here and see my hands, see the nail marks in my hands. Reach out your hand, Thomas, and put it in my side. I think to also of the lady, if you've not know the story, in Luke chapter 8, there's a lady who sees Jesus. She's unwell, she's been unwell for years. She's desperate to be healed. And he, she just reaches out, she just grabs Jesus. He doesn't even know who's, he doesn't see her coming. And in that instant, she's healed. It's the power of touch. It's something deeply profound that Jesus could just be reached and touched. And our hearts will be flooded with light when we feel the touch of Jesus. Obviously, Jesus now, how do we feel his touch? Through the, through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Just like in worship just then. Fantastic in the worship. That sense of it's not just Christian faith, following Jesus, is not just an ethereal thing not just in our heads, but actually something that physically manifests. I felt it. I don't know if you did during the worship. God's touch is with us. His Holy Spirit, an amazing line and delirious song. It talks about how sometimes we feel God is closer than our skin. We feel him. Christian faith is a visceral, guttural faith. It's wonderful. It's because Jesus came as flesh and blood. It's a physical thing. So let that fill your heart, flood your heart with light this Christmas. And thirdly, Let your heart just be touched and revel in basically the ridiculous, stupendous, audacious nature of Christmas. Because actually, Christmas story is ridiculous. Um, My eldest son, he's a very inquisitive young man, I think it would be fair to say. He's got a very curious mind. We've had some good fun recently. He was actually poorly off church a few weeks back. And uh, we had quite a fun chat. Firstly, we decided, let me just tell you a little bit of the detail. Firstly, we decided that um, Alice, my wife, doesn't actually have a middle name. And we decided, I said, maybe what middle name should we give mummy? And he said, toilet. (laughs) Secondly, which was not a great start to the conversation. Sorry, we haven't decided to do that. um, (laughs) Secondly, and this one really, really hurt. We were then about 10 minutes later looking on the iPad. This is my fault. I was looking at BBC News, not best parenting. And uh, he then comes up and looks on the iPad and says, is that you, Daddy? And it's like, no, that's Liam Fox, the International Trade Secretary. (laughs) So that hurt. Uh, And then we then (laughs) decided to say, Trying to teach him, he was taking ibuprofen because he wasn't feeling very well. I'm trying to teach him how to say that, which just then ended up in ibuprofen poo poo. It was one of those mornings. But then he asked me, he asked me a very interesting question. Sorry, a bit silly, but this is where I'm getting to. He asked me a very interesting question, and this has been the question ever since. He said, "Daddy, how old is God?" How old is God? And he's been asking me that for the last few weeks. And Alice and I have been doing to, What do you say? And the, the great answer, hopefully, the proper answer is, well, you know, God's always been there and always will be. I think that's a fairly sound theological answer, I hope. But he's not, he's not happy with that. He's not happy with that. But you see where he's coming from. And we know where he's coming from. He's a six-year-old grappling. We know that question, like, Who is God? What is God like? He's trying to understand God, isn't he? He's trying to put him in a box that he can understand. And I think at Christmas, our hearts are changed and our hearts are flooded with light when we fully consider what we learn of the nature of God through the Christmas story. Because there is something, I think, almost exhilarating about what God allows to happen and what God chooses to happen. Because the birth of a baby boy... In an unsanitized, raw environment, in an era absent of modern healthcare, there would be no midwives, no doctors on hand. It's a newborn baby entrusted to a, in all likelihood a teenage mother, a first time teenage mother, and a nervous and a nervous father. You've got the maker of all things, the creator of our universe, he's got the ability to throw stars across the universe, and yet he reduces himself is just a few pounds and ounces of of human life. And he's saying, I'm going to put myself in the protection and care of first-line parents who would then find themselves in an unfamiliar town, then under the threat of death from Herod, exiled and on the run. It's an unbelievably risky story. It's all so vulnerable. But it's a rescue mission. It's God's rescue mission, and it's the most audacious rescue mission. It's as audacious as it is brave. Again, Philip Yancey, he says this. God who knows no before or after entered time and space. God who knows no boundaries took on the shocking confines of a baby's skin. The ominous restraints of mortality. God makes himself mortal. What a thought. And it's not just that he becomes a baby. It's fascinating how God chooses to come. He chooses not, again, continue, this is a, from Philip Yancey's fantastic book on Christmas, a chapter on Christmas in his book, The Jesus I Never Knew. He, Yancey goes on to talk about how God chose not to come kind of in, in huge power or presence. He doesn't come as a raging whirlwind or an all-consuming fire. He doesn't even come as a baby. First, he comes as a fertilized egg. He comes as something that was not even visible to the naked eye. This is so humble. This is such a kindness. This is so audacious by our God. You know, in one sense, that makes no sense at all, does it? And in the other sense, it's, it's, of course, it it makes perfect sense. This is what our God is like. Because it's the unfailing, relentlessly loving nature of our Father. He just does whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. I'll finish with this. Sadly, this year, some of you may know that there's a guy called Eugene Peterson. Uh, he's a stroller, and he's the guy we often. You might have heard us talk on the stage about how there's a translation of the Bible called the Message, which is just if you've not read it, it's just a really easy to read contemporary version of the Bible, um, kind of the Bible in modern in modern language. And sadly, he passed away a, a few months ago. And um, I read something on, on social media just about his funeral that absolutely tugged at my heart. It was one of those my heart flooded with light when I read this. And um, I thought I'd share it. So it was basically something that um, his son said. So his son said at the funeral, was obviously doing the eulogy at his funeral, and his son said this, that his dad only had one sermon. That he had everyone fooled for 29 years of pastoral ministry, and that for all his books, he actually only had one message. And it was a secret that his dad let him in on early in life. It was a message that his dad apparently had whispered over him for 50 years, words that he had snuck into his room to say over him as he slept when he was a child. And this was it God loves you, God is on your side. He is coming after you and he is relentless. And I dwelt on that when I thought about the conversations I've had with my son recently and I thought, that's what I'd like to speak over my children and that's what God speaks over us as his children today. This Christmas, let our hearts be flooded with light as we remember that God loves us. He pursues us And he will go to the most extraordinary lengths to win us back. We remember that he came to be with us because he loves us. And we know that he loves us because he came to be with us. Ultimately, this was a child, Jesus as a child, who actually came to give us his life. It was a child who would come to grow up and then to die and to rise again. So we would be reconciled with our loving Heavenly Father. So this Christmas, let's remember that he entered our world to enter our hearts. And let that true light flood our hearts this Christmas.